Chapter Six, Part Two of Books Fatal to Their Authors. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ramon Escamilla. Books Fatal to Their Authors by Peter H. Ditchfield. Chapter Six, Part Two. During this period of severe literary criticism lived John Selden, an author of much industry and varied learning. He was a just, upright, and fearless man who spoke his mind, upheld what he deemed to be right in the conduct of either king or parliament, and was one of the best characters in that strange drama of the Great Rebellion. He was the friend and companion of Littleton, the Lord Keeper of the Great Seal, and together they studied the records and were expert in the books of law, being the greatest antiquaries in the profession. Selden had a great affection for Charles, but the latter was exceedingly enraged because Selden, in an able speech in the House of Commons, declared the unlawfulness of the commission of array, for calling out the militia in the king's name, founded upon an ancient act of Parliament in the reign of Henry the Fourth, which Selden said had been repealed. When Lord Falkland wrote a friendly letter to remonstrate with him, he replied courteously and frankly, recapitulating his arguments, and expressing himself equally opposed to the ordinance of the parliamentarians, who wished to summon the militia without the authority of the king. With equal impartiality and vigor, Selden declared the illegality of this measure, and expected that the commons would have rejected it, but he found that, quote, they who suffered themselves to be entirely governed by his reason when those conclusions resulted from it which contributed to their own designs, would not be at all guided by it, or submit to it, when it persuaded that which contradicted and would disappoint those designs. End note. His work, De Decimis, in which he tried to prove that the giving of tithes was not ordered by any divine command, excited much contention, and aroused the animosity of the clergy. In consequence of this, in 1621, he was imprisoned, and remained in custody for five years. On the dissolution of Parliament in 1629, being obnoxious to the royal party, he was sent to the Tower, and then confined in a house of correction for pirates. But as a compensation for his injuries, in 1647, he received five thousand pounds from the public purse, and became a member of the Long Parliament. He was by no means a strong partisan of the Puritan party, and when asked by Cromwell to reply to the published works in favor of the martyred king, he refused. He lived until 1654 and wrote several works, amongst which are Mare Clausum, which was opposed to the Mare Liberum of the learned Dutch historian Grotius, Commentaries on the Arundel Marbles, 1629, and Researches into the History of the Legislation of the Hebrews. John Tutchin, afterwards editor of the Observator, was punished by the merciless Jeffreys in his bloody assize for writing seditious verses, and sentenced to seven years' imprisonment, and to be flogged every year through a town in Dorsetshire. The court was filled with indignation at this cruel sentence, and Tutchin prayed rather to be hanged at once. This privilege was refused, but as the poor prisoner, a mere youth, was taken ill with smallpox, his sentence was remitted. 
Touchin became one of the most pertinacious and vehement enemies of the House of Stuart. Delon's plea for the nonconformists was very fatal to its author, and landed him in Newgate, where the poor man died. Some account of this book and its author is given in a previous volume of the Book Lover's Library, Books Condemned to be Burned, and the writer founds upon it an attack upon the Church of England, whereas the Church had about as much to do with the persecution of poor Delon as the writer of condemned books. There are other conclusions and statements also propounded by the writer of that book, which to one less intolerant than himself would appear entirely unwarrantable but this is not the place for controversy. A book entitled Julian the Apostate was very fatal to that turbulent divine Samuel Johnson, who, in the reign of Charles II, made himself famous for his advocacy of the cause of civil liberty and no popery. He lived in very turbulent times when the question of the rights of the Duke of York, an avowed Roman Catholic, to the English throne was vehemently disputed and allied himself with the party headed by the Earl of Essex and Lord William Russell. He preached with great force against the advocates of popery, and, in his own words, threw away his liberty with both hands, and with his eyes open, for his country's service. Then he wrote his book in reply to a sermon by Dr. Hicks, who was in favor of passive obedience, and compared the future king to the Roman emperor surnamed the Apostate. This made a great sensation, which was not lessened by the report that he had indicted a pamphlet entitled Julian's Arts to Undermine and Extirpate Christianity. Johnson was subsequently condemned to a fine of one hundred marks and imprisoned. On his release, his efforts did not flag. He wrote an humble and hearty address to all of the Protestants in the present army, at the time when the Stuart monarch had assembled a large number of troops at Honslow Heath in order to overawe London. This was the cause of further misfortunes. He was condemned to stand in the pillory, to pay another five hundred marks, to be degraded from the ministry, and publicly whipped from Newgate to Tyburn. When the revolution came, he expected a bishopric as the reward of his sufferings, but he was scarcely the man for the episcopal bench. He refused the deanery of Durham, and had to content himself with a pension and a gift of one thousand pounds. All men mourn the fate of Algernon Sidney, who perished on account of his political opinions, and his discourse on the government, a manuscript which was discovered by the authorities at his house, furnished his enemies with a good pretext. A corrupt jury, presided over by the notorious Jeffreys, soon condemned poor headstrong Sidney to death. He was beheaded in 1683. His early life, his hatred of all in authority, whether Charles I or Cromwell, his revolutionary instincts, are well known. A few extracts from his fatal manuscript will show the author's ideas. Quote, the supreme authority of kings is that of the laws, and the people are in a state of dependence upon the laws. End quote. Quote, Liberty is the mother of virtues, and slavery the mother of vices. End quote. Quote, all free peoples have the right to assemble whenever and wherever they please. End quote. Quote, a general rising of a nation does not deserve the name of a revolt. It is the people for whom and by whom the sovereign is established 
who have the sole power of judging whether he does or does not fulfill his duties. End quote. In the days of the divine right of kings, such sentiments could easily be charged with treason. Political authors in other lands have often shared the fate of our own countrymen, and foremost among these was Edmund Richet, a learned doctor of the Sorbonne, grand master of the College of Cardinal Lemoine, and syndic of the University of Paris. He ranks among unfortunate authors on account of his work entitled De Ecclesiastica et Politica Potestate, 1611, which aroused the anger of the Pope and his cardinals, and involved him in many difficulties. This remarkable work, extracted chiefly from the writings of Gerson, was directed against the universal temporal power of the Pope, advocated the liberties of the Gallican Church, and furnished Protestant theologians with weapons in order to defend themselves against the champions of the ultramontane party. He argues that ecclesiastical authority belongs essentially to the whole Church. The Pope and the bishops are its ministers, and form the executive power instituted by God. The Pope is the ministerial head of the Church. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the absolute chief and supreme pastor. The Pope has no power of making canons. That authority belongs to the universal Church and to general councils. Richet was seized by certain emissaries of a Catholic leader as he entered the College of the Cardinal and carried off to prison, from which he was ultimately released on the intercession of his friends and of the university. But Richet's troubles did not end when he regained his freedom. Having been invited to supper by Father Joseph, a Capuchin monk, he went to the house, not suspecting any evil intentions on the part of his host. But when he entered the room where the feast was prepared, he found a large company of his enemies. The door was closed behind him, daggers were drawn by the assembled guests, and they demanded from him an immediate retraction of all the opinions he had advanced in his work. The drawn daggers were arguments which our unhappy author was unable to resist. As a reward for all his labor and hard study, he was obliged to live in exile, as he mournfully complained, in the midst of a kingdom whose laws he strenuously obeyed, nor dared to set foot in the college of which he had been so great an ornament. In his latter days, Richet's studies were his only comfort. His mind was not fretted by any ambition, but he died in the year 1633, overcome by his grief on account of his unjust fate, and fearful of the powerful enemies his book had raised. The age of Richelieu was not a very safe period for anyone who had unhappily excited the displeasure of powerful foes. A strange work of a wild fanatic, John de Falkenberg, entitled Diatribe contre l'Adisla, Roi de Pologne, was produced at the beginning of the 15th century, and condemned by the Council of Constance in 1414. Falkenberg addressed himself to all kings, princes, prelates, and all Christian people, promising them eternal life if they would unite for the purpose of exterminating the Poles and slaying their king. The author was condemned to imprisonment at Constance on account of his insane book. As there were no asylums for lunatics in those days, perhaps that was the wisest course his judges could adopt. The hostility of the Pope to authors who did not agree with his political views has been excited by many others, amongst whom we may mention the learned Pietro Sarpi, born at Venice in 1552. He joined the Order of the Servites, 
who paid particular veneration to the Blessed Virgin, and of that order, Sarpi and a satirical writer named Doni were the most distinguished members. Sarpi adopted the name of Paul, and is better known by his title, Fra Paolo. He studied history, and wrote several works in defense of the rights and liberties of the Venetian Republic against the arrogant assumptions of Pope Paul V. The Venetians were proud of their defender, and made him their consultant theologian and a member of the famous Council of Ten. But the spiritual weapons of the Pope were levied against the bold upholder of Venetian liberties, and he was excommunicated. His Histoire de l'Interdit, Venice, 1606, exasperated the papal party. One evening in the following year, as Sarpi was returning to his monastery, he was attacked by five assassins, and, pierced with many wounds, fell dead at their feet. The authorship of this crime it was not hard to discover, as the murderers betook themselves to the house of the papal nuncio, and there fled to Rome. In this book, Sarpi vigorously exposed the unlawfulness and injustice of the power of excommunication claimed by the Pope, and showed he had no right or authority to proscribe others for the sake of his own advantage. Sarpi also wrote a history of the Council of Trent, published in London, 1619. His complete works were published in Naples in 1790, in twenty-four volumes. Another Venetian statesman, Jerome Maggi, very learned in archaeology, history, mathematics, and other sciences, hastened his death by his writings. He was appointed by the Venetians a judge of the town of Famagusta in the island of Cyprus, which was held by the powerful republic from the year 1489 to 1571. After one of the most bloody sieges recorded in history, the Turks captured the stronghold, losing 50,000 men. Maji was taken captive and conducted in chains to Constantinople. Unfortunately, he whiled away the tedious hours of his captivity by writing two books, De Aculeo and De Tintinabulis, remarkable for their learning, composed entirely without any reference to other works in the squalor of a Turkish prison. He dedicated the books to the Italian and French ambassadors to the Sublime Port, who were much pleased with them, and endeavored to obtain the release of the captive. Their efforts unhappily brought about the fate which they were trying to avert. For when the affair became known, as Maggi was being conducted to the Italian ambassador, the captain of the prison ordered him to be brought back and immediately strangled in the prison. The unhappy Jean Lenoir, canon of Sée, was doomed in 1684 to a lifelong servitude in the galleys, after making a public retractation of his errors in the Church of Notre-Dame at Paris. His impetuous and impassioned eloquence is displayed in all his writings, which were collected and published under the title Requet de Requête et de Facton. The titles of some of his treatises will show how obnoxious they were to the ruling powers, e.g. Hérésie de la Domination Épiscopale, que l'on établit en France, Protestation contre les assemblées du clergé de 1680 ans, etc. These were the causes of the severe persecutions of which he was the unhappy victim. He was fortunate enough to obtain a slight alleviation of his terrible punishment by writing a complainte latine, in which he showed that the author, 
although black in name, le noir, was white in his virtues and his character. He was released from the galleys and sent to prison instead, being confined at St. Malo, Brest, and Nantes, where he died in 1692. In times less remote, Simon Languet, a French political writer, born in 1736, found himself immured in the Bastille on account of his works, which gave great offense to the ruling powers. His chief books were his Histoire Impartiale des Jésuites, 1768, two volumes, and his Annales Politiques. After his release, he wrote an account of his imprisonment, which created a great sensation, and aroused the popular indignation against the Bastille, which was only appeased with its destruction. Longuet's Annales Politiques was subsequently published in Brussels in 1787, for which he was rewarded by the Emperor Joseph II, with a present of 1,000 ducats. Longuet's experiences in the Bastille rendered him a persona grata to the Revolutionary Party, in which he was an active agent. But alas for the fickleness of the mob! He himself perished at the hands of the wretches whose madness he had inspired, and was guillotined at Paris in 1794. The pretext of his condemnation was that he had incensed by his writings the despots of Vienna and London. The Jesuit controversy involved many authors in ruin, amongst others Abbé Caverac, who wrote, Appel à la raison des écrits et libelles publiés contre les Jésuites par Jean Novi de Caverac. This book was at once suppressed, and its author was condemned to imprisonment in 1764, and then sent to the pillory, and afterwards doomed to perpetual exile. He was accused of having written an apology for the slaughter of the Protestants on the eve of St. Bartholomew's Day, but our last-mentioned author, Longuet, endeavors to clear his memory from that charge. A friend of Longuet, Darigrand, wrote a book entitled L'Antifinancier ou relevé de quelqu'une des malversations dont se rendent journellement les fermiers généraux et des vexations qu'ils commettent dans les provinces. Paris, Lambert, 1764, two volumes. It was directed against the abominable system of taxation in vogue in France, which was mainly instrumental in producing the revolution. Darigrand was a lawyer and had been employed in La Ferme Générale. He knew all the iniquities of that curious institution. He knew the crushing taxes which were levied, and the tender mercies of the cellar rats, the gnawing bailiffs, who knew no pity. Indignant and disgusted by the whole business, he wrote his vehement exposure, L'Antifinancier. The government wished to close his mouth by giving him a lucrative post under the same profitable system. This our author indignantly refused, and that method of enforcing silence having failed, another more forcible one was immediately adopted. Darigrand was sent to the Bastille in January 1763. His book is a most forcible and complete exposure of that horrible system of extortion, torture, and ruination which made a reformation or a revolution inevitable. Authors have often been compelled to eat their words, but the operation has seldom been performed literally. In the seventeenth century, owing to the disastrous part which Christian IV of Denmark took in the Thirty Years' War, 
his kingdom was shorn of its ancient power and was overshadowed by the might of sweden one theodore reinking lamenting the diminished glory of his race wrote a book entitled dania ad exteros de perfidia suecorum it was not a very excellent work neither was its author a learned or accurate historian but it aroused the anger of the swedes who cast ranking into prison there he remained many years when at length he was offered his freedom on the condition that he should either lose his head or eat his book our author preferred the latter alternative and with admirable cleverness devoured his book when he had it converted into a sauce for his own sake we trust his work was not a ponderous or bulky volume end of chapter 6 part 2 recording by ramon escamilla conway arkansas r a m o n e s c a m i l l a dot wordpress dot com